Proverbs 15, 18, we started last week a study of what the Bible says about anger. Last week, we looked at five warnings regarding anger in the book of Proverbs. And we're going <clears> to <throat> uh, continue that theme, what we can do uh, if we find ourselves struggling with anger and what is righteous anger and what is not. So Proverbs 15, verse 18, which is our text for the study, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. So basically this verse of scripture says a person who is angry creates more anger. They stir up strife. Uh, the person who struggles with their temper, struggles with internalized anger or external uh, exhibitions of anger, it stirs up strife, but those who are slow to anger, they're not reactionary, they're not quick uh, triggered, they're not quick to respond, help calm it down. So just by way of review, the five warnings we looked at last week are, number one, the Bible teaches us that anger reveals that we are personally out of control. It's a lack of self-control. And God, twice in the book of Proverbs, gives a warning. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. You find that in Proverbs 16, 32 and Proverbs 25, 28. So remember, every city was a city-state. It had its own army, so if it had no wall, it was unable to be protected. And uh, so anger reveals being out of control. Secondly, we saw anger is destructive, not just to property, but to relationships. Uh, Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel and uh, Anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? So anger reveals a lack of self-control. Anger is destructive. Thirdly, when anger is expressed, it leads to more anger. Our text says that a wrathful man stirreth up strife. Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirreth up strife and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. So when we allow ourselves to express our anger, we basically are stirring it up. We're not calming it down. Number four, we saw how until we learn to control our anger, we will struggle. Until we learn to control it, we will struggle. Now we're not emphasizing you know, self-control mechanisms, but it is needful and that to learn biblically to control it. Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. In other words, it's just, just because you solve one problem, unless they deal with the anger, it's going to be repetitive. This is, it's going to be the struggle of their life. And number five, trouble will continue to be a part of that angry person's life. And we find that in our text, stirreth up strife. Uh, Proverbs 17, 19, he loveth transgression that loveth strife. Uh, James 4, 6, 
For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So five warnings. Tonight, I want us to consider five things we can do if we struggle with anger. Five things the Bible teaches us we should do if this is a problem in our life. Uh, after the service last week, since last Wednesday night, it's been amazing the number of times this is conversation has come up about anger, whether it be with employees or coworkers or family or personally. Uh, this is a bigger problem than we recognize. So number one, what can we do if we struggle with anger? And I, I'm talking about not just the outburst, not just the explosion, but the slow burn that we hang on to. That, that, that simmering cauldron that outwardly nobody may know unless they get close to us, but it's raging internally. Well, Proverbs 22, let's turn over to Proverbs 22. <clears throat> Look at verse number 10, Proverbs 22, verse 10. Cast out the scorner and contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Look down at verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Then look across the page, chapter 24, verse number 1. Be not thou envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. So number one, if you struggle with anger, guard who you spend time with. Don't spend time with a person who verbally or in their actions are quick to anger. The Bible teaches we become like those we spend time with. Iron sharpeneth iron, even so the man's countenance is sharpened by his friend. So maybe you grew up in an angry home. You're going to have to be careful about spending time with people who just quickly explode, quickly express their anger. Guard who you spend time with. Uh, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 Make no friendship with an angry man, with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways. I'm grateful I didn't grow up in a home where anger was expressed. That was not my dad's temperament, my mom's either. I, I did see my mother get angry a few times in life, but it was sort of one of those shocking things. But the truth of the matter is, Angry people end up becoming lonely people because nobody wants to be around them. And they become isolated, which unless they can deal with that and learn that their anger is the source of the problem, it just causes them to get more angry. And so they become lonely and angry and angrier and more lonely all the time. And it doesn't mean you're not friendly to them. It doesn't mean you don't want to be a blessing to them, but you have to guard the time that you spend with them. The same thing is true with a gossip. 
You know, every time you're around them, pretty soon they're talking about people, which is the lowest level of communication, conversation. It's easy to pick that up. I'm as guilty as the Knicks. I can... I have to guard myself. There's something in our DNA about being judgmental. And so if, if that's something you struggle with, spending time with those kind of people, you're going to find yourself there. The same thing is absolutely true about being around those who are angry. So what can you do to help you get control of your anger? Guard who you spend time with. Number two, train yourself to react slowly. Learn to not react quickly. Both saying the same thing, just a little different approach. Look back at Proverbs chapter 14. Verse 17, Proverbs 14, 17. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. And a man of wicked devices is hated. Look down at verse 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. This verse, verse 17, he that is soon angry. You want to put it in modern day vernacular? Quick tempered. They fly off the handle. What happens? They dealeth or act foolishly. Now, nobody likes to be called a fool or thought of to be foolish, but this word translated folly or foolishness, depending on how it is used in Proverbs, is found 22 times in the bulk of the book from chapter 5 to chapter 27. So what's it saying? If you don't want to be thought a fool or if you don't want to act like a fool, learn to step back, take a breath and respond slowly, not be quick to react. We've all seen on social media, the news, different things where people have, you know, road rage incidents, reactions in stores, what was the last one I saw? A fight broke out somewhere, and I thought, really? You're fighting over that? It would have been fun to watch, but it wouldn't have been very edifying or godly. You know, uh, you, you watch kids playing sports. They learn by watching the multimillionaires uh, how to not respond properly. It used to be, the maxim was in leadership, if you're really irritated, write the letter, put it in your drawer, read it a week later and see if you want to mail it. Today's instant communication, don't push send on that email till you've given yourself time to cool down. Uh, the reactions on social media, now, I, I, I'm not on hardly ever anymore. I go on once every couple of weeks just to check on family posts or whatever. Other than that, I don't look at it every day because it was affecting me negatively. Uh, but uh, sometimes you'll be reading the thread and you, you, the question comes to my mind, I wonder if that person regrets that. 
I wonder. Brother R.B. Willette, we're praying for him, battling laryngeal cancer. He's about a month into his first treatments. Many, many years ago, I was at a preacher's meeting and they were doing question and answer. I think that was a format that this happened. Somebody asked him, how do you deal with staff members when they really blow it? This, I've never forgotten. He said, I write their name on a piece of paper and I stick it in my pocket. And I look at it every day. And when I can look at it and not feel myself get angry, then I talk to him. What was he training himself to be? Slow to anger. You know, we need to be very careful, folks. Our reactions are not many times based on full information. We asked a few questions, we thought about it a little bit, we checked out the circumstances, we might think a little differently about it. We need to learn how to not be reactionary. And when I teach in premarital counseling and other times when I'm called on to speak on communication from Ephesians chapter four, one of the rules is we are to act, not react. We're to speak the truth in love, that's action. We are not to respond harshly, unkindly, uh, in an in a, uh, unkind way. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. So learn to respond slowly. Number three, look at Proverbs chapter 15, which is where our text verse is. Verse number one, a soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. Turn over to chapter 25, Proverbs chapter 25. And verse number 15. Proverbs 25, 15. By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, but a soft tongue breaketh the bone. So Proverbs 25, 15 is teaching that you are not going to convince somebody by upping the volume and increasing the vehemence. What it's saying is a soft tongue breaketh the bone. In other words, an appealing conversation, asking questions, not attacking will often win the argument. The first pastor I worked for used to say, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. In other words, you may beat somebody down to get them to where they'll agree with you, but they really don't agree with you. You didn't change their mind. They just aren't willing to fight with you about it. So what is the principle? The principle is this, sometimes silence is a good answer. A slow response is better, but a soft response is best. Do you know I don't have to respond to every harsh thing said to me? Neither do you. Let, let it flow off you like water off a duck's back, as they used to say. Soft words approachable conversation 
is sometimes the only thing that can get through a hard heart or a hard head. And by the way, sometimes men feel like if they don't respond in kind, they're not much of a man. The truth of the matter is self-control is the greatest control you'll ever exhibit. I'm reading a book, a World War II book, of course, I read history a lot about a, a bomber squadron. And I, I just read it last, this last night. The, you know, the, the, they became officers a lot younger in the Army Air Corps before it became the Air Force because so many died. And Eisenhower uh, allowed those who, after so many missions of active combat, they could go for a little R&R. That practice has continued in the U.S. military. I don't know about the Canadian military. So he was on this time of R&R, and he was sitting in a restaurant, and some infantry guy who was obviously older but had lower rank came up, and he said he sat next to me, and with his finger he flicked the wings on my uniform. He said, you, you fly boys really think you're something. You think you're better than everybody. And he kept trying to provoke him to something, get a fight started. And, and this uh, man said, I had to determine, was it really worth it to spend time in jail because I felt like I had to defend my honor or was I showing more strength by just walking away? Self-control. You know, just because somebody comes at you hard, if you lower your tone of voice and you ask a question, you'd be amazed how it changes the temperature. I wish I would have learned that when I was younger. And I hope and pray I practice it at this stage. Sometimes a silent response is best, is good, a slow response is better, but a soft response is best. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turneth away wrath. But grievous words stir up anger. They throw fuel on the fire, feed oxygen to get the flame burning hotter. Number four, if you struggle with anger, you have to learn to forgive. You know, one of the biggest mistakes we make, we think, I'll forgive when they ask for it. You want to know something? Some people never will. Some people never will. You'd be shocked. I would never reveal it. But you'd be shocked at some of the communication I've received through the years. I'm thinking of one where it wasn't even this person's child, but they, they wrote me a very hot email about how I didn't care about this child and how we were harming this child and this and that and the other thing. Do you know for years after that event, I was that person's pastor. They, they spoke to me, they smiled at me, but not one time did they ever say, you know, pastor, I was, I was absolutely wrong on that. Will you forgive me? You see, forgiveness is a gift you give. Forgiveness is never earned. Didn't Jesus say to us, forgive as you have been forgiven? Did any of you deserve God's forgiveness and salvation? 
If so, you're a far better person than me. I didn't. He forgave me, not because of me, but because of him. And the only thing that has kept me in the ministry, and I'll be honest and tell you this, is that I've had to learn to forgive people who didn't deserve it. Well, you know what we want? We want justice. We want things to be made right. Turn over to Proverbs 19. Look at verse number 11. It says, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger. Notice the second half of the verse. And it is his glory to pass over a transgression. In other words, they did you wrong. They said something about you wrong. They treated you or your children wrong. And they're never going to make it right. Either you're going to make yourself their hostage forever. Or you're going to rise above by the grace of God and you're going to forgive that which is not worthy of forgiveness. The world's philosophy is I deserve vengeance. I deserve revenge. Can I burst your bubble? Vengeance or revenge is not your right or your responsibility. It's not your right nor it's your responsibility. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. People don't know how to make things right and there's so much pride that they won't make it right. I love what I do, you know, I am not complaining in saying this, but you'd be shocked at the stuff people have said to me through the years. Absolutely shocked and appalled and never made it right. What am I going to do? Well, I'm never going to treat them differently. I'm never going to speak to them again. No, I'm, I'm, I'm so how Christ-like is either one of those actions? The Lord said, the Apostle Paul wrote, Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. So don't try and get revenge. Don't try and get justice. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. Put it in its place. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. The ability to pass over that transgression, Proverbs 19, 11. The ability to put it in the Lord's hands and walk away is a sign of strength not of weakness. So learn to forgive. If you're going to deal with anger, if you're going to if you're going to deal with that sin of anger and bitterness that fuel burning in your heart, you got to forgive. Look, people will do you wrong, but God is always just. You can trust him. It will happen. I I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but it's going to happen. People will do you wrong, but the Lord is always going to do right. And number five, if you want to deal with anger, we have to recognize the source of our anger is not external, but it's our own sinful heart. 
If we're going to deal with anger, we have to recognize it's not our circumstances. It's not what people do. It's not the injustice that we have been dealt, but it's our own sinful heart. Turn back to Proverbs 13. Look at verse number 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. So if I am constantly in conflict with others, contention is a revelation of the pride of my own heart. or the pride in their heart, if we've tried to get over it and given it to the Lord, but pride is at its source. Proverbs 28, 25, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. What the Bible is teaching is our anger, whether it's internalized or external outbursts are not caused by what has happened. It is rooted in our heart. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to trust that God will do what only God can do. And the Bible teaches that when we humble ourselves, the Lord will lift us up. So to close, I I could probably do another Wednesday night, but I don't want to. It's making me angry. (laughs) So let me wrap it up this way. How can I be angry and not sin? Is it possible? Well, the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let me boil it down this way. I'll tell you how you know when anger is sinful, and I'll give you examples from the scripture. You know anger is sinful when it's selfishly motivated. By that, I mean, ask yourself the question, what makes me angry? And normally if you're honest with yourself, it's when people treat me or my children or my grandchildren or somebody who means a lot to me wrong in my opinion. You see, the youth football coach down in Florida didn't like a call, ended up shooting and killing another coach. Really? Over a kid's football game. I've I've seen some really bad referee calls. Never ever wanted to kill a person. But usually it's about our presumed rights. We, We believe we have a right to be understood or heard or remembered or loved or to live the way we want to live or whatever. It's selfishly motivated. But Jesus said, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So anger is sinful and selfishly motivated. Anger is sinful when God's name or God's work is harmed. The Bible says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
So if what we're doing is harming the work of God or the workers of God or the testimony of Christ, it's sinful. So let's get really honest here. You're angry, you're venting, you're screaming. Stop mid-sentence and say, how Christ-like is this? And that tells you it's sinful anger. Thirdly, it's sinful anger when we hang on to it. When it's allowed to remain. We don't ever deal with it. We don't put it away. And we become bitter. Our text, Ephesians 4, 4.26, verse 27 says, neither give place to the devil. When you remain angry over something from history, you have given Satan a foothold and it will come back and bite you. The Bible says, let no communication proceed out of your, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Zip, zilch, nada. No corrupt garbage communication. So when is anger not sinful? Well, I'll give you three illustrations and the trouble is this is gonna remove all of our excuses. You remember, and and we're not turning there because we're out of time. You can read it, Galatians chapter two. Paul was on his missionary journeys. He's writing the churches in the area of Galatia. Peter comes, well, Peter, he was being two-faced. He would be one way when he was with the Jews. He would be another way when he was with the Gentiles. He wasn't being consistent. And the Bible says that the apostle Paul, quote, withstood him to his face. That's very strong language to say, what you're doing, Peter, is not right. I believe in reading it, Paul was angry, but he wasn't sinfully angry. Why? This was about the work of God. This was about the gospel. This was about those believers doing right. It takes a lot of love to speak the truth to somebody when you know they don't want to hear it. Mom and dad, sometimes when dealing with your kids, you console them in their anger rather than confronting it. And all you're doing is creating a powder keg for later on. There's all kinds of things you can do. I understand you're frustrated. I understand you you don't think this is right. Whatever, whatever, calm them down and then say, but is this how the Lord wants us to act? Illustration number one, it was godly anger confronting a brother for harming the work of God. Illustration number two, God sent Nathan the prophet to confront King David for his sin. He told him that whole parable, farmer had one, farmer had innumerable, big time farmer took the one sheep, killed it, fed it to his guests, and David gets righteously indignant only it was unrighteously indignant and then Nathan looked at him and said but David you're angry because you know in your heart you're that man 
Nathan had to have courage, unbelievable, and to be able to confront the king, he may have been angry, but he wasn't sinfully angry. Illustration number three, this is the one people like to use all the time. John chapter two, I think it's also in Luke's gospel, Jesus cleansing of the Temple Mount area. Why? Well, that area was to be dedicated to the teaching of the word of God. It was to be dedicated to the worship of God and glory of God. But the God of money, mammon, which is very corrupting, invaded in. And with the excuse of, well, you know, the travelers have a hard time bringing a sacrifice. We'll provide sacrifices at an elevated price. And they won't, they'll have a hard time getting a priest to declare the sacrifice is worthy. So we'll have a price. So the priest will do that and on and on. And the Lord upended the tables. And I can, I can picture in my mind how that cord chased everybody off. But what was he angry about? He was angry because he had a passion for the purity of the worship of Jehovah God. And that God's name not be muddied because of mammon. I'm always a little nervous when Christians start making money off the name of God. In fact, I'm not a little nervous, I'm a lot nervous. Marketing and ministry rarely run pristinely true. Now, I first started pastoring, you know, guys say, hey, you ought to sell your tapes and hey, you ought to do this and hey, you ought to do that. I was just uncomfortable. I'm not impugning anybody else who does that. That's, they answer to God for them. For me, you want it, I'll give it to you. You want it? I'll give it to you. I'm not going to fight for a salary. I'm not going to try and make money. The Bible says I'm supposed to live in the ministry. Now, I know there's some guys that have to be bivocational. I understand that. I grieve for them, to tell you the truth. But God's taking care of me. And maybe I could have done some of those things and we would be better prepared for the future. But you know what? The God who promised that he knows about the sparrow, he knows about the hair on my head, which is less. He knows all of those things, has said, if I put him first, I won't lack anything I need. A couple years ago, I was looking at our finances and we were, Jan and I, we were just talking a little bit, you know, are we gonna retire or are we gonna be able to retire? My joke was, I'm gonna work till I die and hopefully you've got enough to live on, you know. She made a statement, it encouraged me, it encourages me to this day. She said, Bob, you have always been generous with God. So either we trust him or we don't. You know, folks, God can do a better job than you or I in that area. All I'm saying is, this is one of those sanctified sins. We excuse our anger, we excuse our bitterness, we excuse that resentment, we excuse those long held onto hurts 
And let me tell you something, you're only hurting yourself. You want the blessing of God? Trust him. Trust him. Quit defending unrighteous anger. And get angry about what really matters. Eternity. The name of God. His work. And let's keep it right for him.